Hey, what up, what up, everybody? I am Kate. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church Livonia, and you are tuning in to Tell Me More And I'm here with my pal, Alex. Al pal. Al pal. How's it going, sir? It's going swell. Happy to be here. Great. So here on Tell Me More, um, we dive more deeply into the sermon from the Sunday prior, because on Sundays, we don't always have enough time to dig into the text and unpack ideas the way that we really want to. And so here on Tell Me More, we like to uh, journey together through the text and journey together in relationship mm-hmm. and conversation, because that's what discipleship is. It's more of a conversation than just a simple teaching. And so to Today, we are talking about, uh, tell me more about the um, Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) We are talking about the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Normally, we make the titles up later, but that's a fine one. We'll go with that. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) I mean, you can also rewrite it. I'm cool with it. (laughs) Tell me more. I was really trying to just remember what it was from Sunday, and I just couldn't. I didn't write that one. Yeah, the Beatitudes. Cool, cool, cool. So here we are. It's talking about the Beatitudes. (laughs) (laughs) so alex in your sermon which by the way everybody i personally really loved i just found so much value in the way that you unpacked the text and broke down the blessed bees and it was really really good for me i listened to the sermon probably three times um yes i missed it on sunday because i had the privilege of serving with life kids um yeah we love our children it was really actually so much fun. I don't serve with the kids regularly, but anyway, so I listened to it yesterday and Monday and just really enjoyed the way that you broke things down. And in the sermon, you said that you really wanted to talk about why Jesus yeah. was on the mountain. Right. So here we are. Alex. Here we are. Tell us more about why Jesus. You know, was I the would really love to. So let me tell you guys a little something, something about this little mountain, mountain here over here. Mm-mm-mm-mm. So. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which if you're watching with us on YouTube, you can see, uh, it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now there's like a lot here. So Mm -hmm. thing number one that's here, um, Jesus isn't really on a mountain in the real sense of the word. There aren't real mountains around Israel. There are large hills. But there's okay. not like a mountain in the sense we think of like with the Rockies. Okay. Um, and Matthew knows this. So this is uh, what I would call a um, factually false, metaphorically, spiritually true statement. What? Whoa. I know. Oh my gosh. What just happened, <clears throat> what just happened there? So, so factually false meaning it's a um, Jesus is on a large foothill. Right, but not like a mountain in uh, uh, like the Rockies kind of mm-hmm. sense, right? So it's it's not untrue, but it's it's stretching the term a little bit, right? Um, but despite whether whatever the facts of that situation are, um, there is a spiritual truth that Matthew is trying to communicate, and this is incredibly popular in Jewish conversation and way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Is um, Jews deeply believe that. Um, fact does not always communicate truth, and sometimes um, metaphor and myth communicate truth more truly than fact, which is a Oof. difficult thing for what? us. Which is a difficult thing for us who come from enlightenment thinking. You know, our yeah. ep- our epistemology, meaning how we know what we know, 
comes from the idea mostly, it's changing right now in a bad way, but mostly it comes from the idea, what I can perceive with my five senses is what's true. Mm -hmm. And what I can't perceive with my five senses is untrue or suspect at best. Okay. Um, well, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said something there that I'm curious about. And I don't know if our people will be curious about it who are tuning in, but I'm going to make are it about curious? me a little bit. Here we are. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by tell me more about what you just said there about how it's flipping for the negative, like there's an enlightenment that's so we come from our, our American way of thinking. Yep is rooted primarily in Greek thought. Okay. Meaning the Greek way of thinking about the world has influenced, if you can imagine, what was that guys? If you can imagine like a generational, not biology of generations, but like a generational ideas, okay? You have Greek thought over here, which okay. gives birth to the scientific method. Okay. okay? Which is yeah. how we know basically everything we know and how we claim to know what's true and what's false, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the scientific method gives birth to the enlightenment, which is a period in human history um, where we really discover many, 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 many things. Okay. Um, and it's how, you know, it's in that period that all the groundwork is laid for democracy and the way that we know about it now. There's, you know, uh, this is a generalization. There's... Um, blasting over nuances but um <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't have a lot of time right so. but um the idea being that the way america thinks is rooted primarily back down into this idea that what i what i see and can prove with my five senses is what is true okay jews okay. did not think that way they weren't greek they come from a different way of thinking and in the jewish mindset um, which is much more kind of the biblical mindset is that all truth is God's truth. And that sometimes the facts of the situation cloud the truth. They don't prove it. And so, yeah. for example, a good example of this in Jewish history would be uh, marching around Jericho. God has said this wall is going to come down if we do this. Now, there are no facts to support that. Mm. And in fact, the wall in front of them would say very much otherwise. <laughs> yeah, it's a sturdy, it was a sturdy wall. It's a, it was it was a, a good, wall. It's a good wall. Yeah. <laughs> Made out of blocks and such. So, um, but this is part of the Jewish consciousness that sometimes the facts that we can sense with our five senses actually cloud truth. They don't assist it. Yeah. They don't prove it. And so here when Matthew, Matthew being a Jew, writing yeah. to other Jews... Okay, so the reason there are four Gospels, Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews, and the way he organizes Jesus's life is in line with the Torah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so quick aside on that, right, you have Adam, who's born as the first son of God, if you will. Mm -hmm. Jesus is born as the new Adam. So Matthew starts with this genealogy, right? Mm -hmm. Moses, um, when Moses is born, all the babies are killed, Um and Moses is miraculously, you know, in this basket, like cradled by God and, and saved from many dangers, right? Yep. Jesus is saved from many dangers and all the babies are killed when he is born. Yep. Moses is then in Egypt. Jesus, after all the babies are killed, leaves to Egypt. Hmm. Moses comes back from Egypt through the Red Sea 
which first Corinthians calls the baptism of Israel. And mm-hmm. um, the next time we see Jesus after all these babies are killed and he's fled to Egypt, Jesus is getting baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. His, the way Matthew organizes the events of his life is to show Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Yeah. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. Yeah. He, has, he has relived the whole Jewish history with the relationship Adam would have had without sin. And then he gives us fascinating. It's just such a such a great way of articulating that fulfillment. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Beautifully. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So Matthew's writing to Jews who are picking up on all these baby cues, all these little social cues. And so Jesus just finished. um, Jesus just finished his baptism, which in the Israelite consciousness, they're thinking, right, Israel's baptism through the Red Sea. Okay. Yeah. What happens immediately after the Red Sea? They get the law on the mountain of God where they receive the Ten Commandments, where God teaches this group of slaves what it means to be people instead of property. Hmm. And then Exodus, the back half of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy are all about God's law, which is about helping these people not just learn how to be people, but how to be God's people. How to be righteous people. Right. It's a, it's a yeah. wedding. It's a, it's like an engagement wing ring to the Lord, right? The yeah. engagement ring is a physical sign that tells people where I stand, who I love, whom I belong to, and how I'm going to behave in accordance with that. And so things like circumcision, uh, clearly in the new Testament, uh, the church has an argument about do all Christians need to be circumcised? And the oh, answer man. is no. It's a huge argument. Actually. The answer is no, yeah. because, um, Paul is saying the the wedding ring, if you will, the outward sign of whose people we are yep. is no longer this. It's yep. it's salvation in Jesus Christ. Yep. Um, so anyway, so again, if we're following, if we're recognizing Matthew is organizing Jesus's life, um, Jesus has just been baptized. And so the next part of the Israelite story is they receive the law of God on a mountain where God teaches slaves what it means to be human. Hmm. And so here, when Matthew begins this this way, he is saying Jesus is in this elevated place. He's on this foothill, but he's calling it a mountain on purpose to evoke this, this sense that here, now, God again is giving people, giving slaves, but this time slaves to sin, not just slaves to Egypt, yep. giving slaves a law on a mountain that is going to teach these people a new way to be human. Mm-hmm. And then he leads into the Blessed are, yes. Yeah. yeah, so that's why Jesus is on this mountain, is it's not just um, for the, the acoustics of it or something, yeah. which I, th- I think is certainly a part of that. But it's also this spiritual representation that the last time this happened, God and man needed a mediator in Moses. This time, God himself is the mediator. Mm-hmm. And he is giving this new law, teaching these people who are slaves what it means to be free in God. And what this these people who don't know how to be, they only know how to be inhuman because of sin. And mm-hmm. God is teaching them uh, in this law, in this sermon, a new way to be human. So that preface is so important, um, even though it's so short. Because it's cueing all the Jewish readers who are picking up on these um, echoes of the Old Testament. Do you think, and this is all speculation, but do you think because of who the Jewish people were, that they were always looking for symbolisms, that they were always looking for 
the way that those um, ideas related to one another? I think you can't help it. Uh, so for example, if I made, um, pretend I was doing a project for my kid or something, right? I was doing a project for school and they made two towers um, and one of them was broken, mm-hmm. right? Or like they were, these two towers were crumbling. That's going to make us think of 9-11, whether we want it to or not. Mm, okay. Not because yeah. we're looking for that, but because it's so deeply imprinted into our psyche. Sure. Or if we, if we see the words on a wall, I have a dream. What do we think of? Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Why? Yeah. It's not because we're looking for that. It's just because that's so deeply embedded into our cultural consciousness mm-hmm. that we can't help but think of these other things when we see yeah. that even if that's it's good, not that's a good point even if it's not a reference to that right sure. even if the i have a dream yeah. isn't actually trying to reference martin luther king we can't help but go oh man it, this has got something to do with that <laughs> right? right for sure yeah. yeah that's great i just i always think about that when i'm reading scripture because i'm not jewish i don't yeah. know a ton about the jewish culture minimal really even yeah. at all and so when you say these things and you point out these uh correlations i can't help but wonder like do you think that they were attuned to that but just based on their culture that does make a ton of sense thanks yeah and, and too they're they're at this point uh, in their history, they uh, just tasted freedom for a hundred years from all oppressors and actually owned the promised land again, which is mm-hmm. what their whole culture is centered around. It's this, we are God's people and God has promised us this particular land, this piece yeah. of land on the earth. And when we possess that in freedom, we know God is with us. So they literally had just had that for a hundred years and then Herod the Great, the current king's uh, father or grandfather, I can't remember, sold them to Rome yeah. um, for in order to get the necessary military <laughs> backing he needed to retain power. So that um, the prophecies about the Messiah to them, which have already been prophesied over the last 400 years and before, are hyper um, sensitive in their consciousness right now because they've tasted that freedom, but this guy wasn't the real Messiah who freed them. And so they are looking with great anticipation. Their grandparents have stories about what free Israel was like that they used to listen to around the fire, right? Mm-hmm. So so they're like, they're waiting for it. They're, they, they're hoping to taste it. And here Jesus is. Um, and so they're, they're kind of um, looking for it anyway, because there's mm-hmm. that, that, that um, intensity surrounding current events. Um, and, and here he is uh, with all of these allusions, AL, yeah. you know, these metaphors. Yeah, yeah. That's great. <clears throat> That's really great. And I really love what you said, because they're, they're waiting in the middle of anxiety and, and some tensions. And oh, yeah. I think that we can bring that back to our own world and that we're living in tensions and anxieties and that we have all of these conflicts all around us. Um, and even pre-COVID, we had a ton of conflict. There's just these these camps of people. So you've got this extreme right. camp here and this extreme camp here and and battling against each other. And when and, and I can't help, I've been praying for just our world and and the 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 nature of where we're at as a people. Mm-hmm. And we're so divided and it's so contrary to what God has called us to do. And I think while you're preaching, there was something that you said that really just 
stuck out to me about how we are all longing for a perfect world, right. whether it's our marriages or our relation, our friendships or mm-hmm. our work dynamics, that we just want things to be right. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's a heavenly gift, that that's mm-hmm. a divine, we want that because that's how God has wired us mm-hmm. to, to desire that. But in that, I couldn't help but think that the people who I disagree with they, the things that I disagree with them on come from a longing for a perfect world. Mm -hmm. It just is, um, we're on two, we have two different parts of the the perfect world. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not the enemy, their goals. And we have divided it in our minds that Mm -hmm. I know what is best for this world and they're wrong. And Mm -hmm. they think the same about me excuse me about me. Right. And so this whole sermon on the Mount helps me to understand what it is to have empathy and compassion for people who think differently than I do and to be gracious and humble. And so I wanted you to tell me more Mm. about these qualities. I love that point that you made is that these aren't um, just individual people. These are qualities for one person Mm -hmm. to embody. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me more? There were a couple that I just wanted to pinpoint because we don't really have a ton of time to dig into all of them. Um, But the two that really stuck out to me were hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Mm -hmm. so this idea of righteousness and that's really the ultimate point of the Beatitudes, right? Mm -hmm. Righteousness isn't our idea of what is good and right in the world. Um, It's God's idea. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me more about righteousness and um, what that looks like for you and your life? Yeah, righteousness is simply being aligned with the right thing. And like I mentioned in the, um, the sermon, these are like categories of the human experience. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what's the opposite of righteousness? Unrighteousness, wickedness, (laughs) right? (laughs) Wicked, wickedness, evil, evil, right? Right. So uh, righteousness is living into the inherent ideal of goodness, right? And um, I think where we get in trouble, and this is part of where the epistemology is so important of like, how do we know what we know, is who gets to determine what is good Mm -hmm. and what is evil. And, um, and God's kingdom, it's him. Yep. Yeah. And uh, my feelings, and sometimes the facts in front of me, uh, obscure that. They're not inherently against it. Uh, You know, God comes to us in the way that we feel. He comes to us through our circumstances. But he is also not those things. He is separate from those things. Yeah, yeah. And so um, when we talk about hungering and thirsting, when Jesus is talking about righteousness, he means doing what is right in the eyes of God doing what is right in the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. And this is about how do kingdom people treat ethics? And so the fact that Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That means they're hungering and thirsting for something they don't already have yet. Mm -hmm. And they will get it, which is part of why they're blessed. Um, And so uh, but the way I describe this in the sermon is hungering and thirsting for righteousness is when the wrong thing in the world happens, it hurts you in your guts like you're starving. Yeah. And it is painful on a physical mm-hmm. level. And you crave the right thing to happen here like a dehydrated person uh, craves water. Yeah. I just, I really struggle with this so much because there are ideas or concepts that feel right 
mm-hmm. and um, loving and kind, mm-hmm. which will bring me to the next. Um, which yeah, blessed are the merciful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because I loved how you articulated this in the sermon as well. But there are things that feel right and true and loving to me, but we see in scripture are contrary to righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so the balance of hungering and thirsting for righteousness and doing something that I think is kind and loving mm-hmm. is really hard to navigate as a person mm-hmm. who's like um, ooey gooey mushy, mm-hmm. you know, like I just have a tendency to be more um, yeah. compassionate and loving and yeah. Um, when it comes to like, well, I don't want to tell people what to do with their lives and we Mm -hmm. shouldn't, we should allow Mm -hmm. the Holy spirit to do that. I think there's a balance between like with believers, it's a different thing with unbelievers and, um, it's just a really tricky road to navigate. Yeah. And this is, this is the core of most human experiences when it comes to relationship with God. Our original temptation was you can be like God. Mm-hmm. by by having the knowledge of good and evil yeah. and the knowledge of good and evil is not just the ability to discern a moral framework it's just it's not the ability to be able to say oh i get it that's right and that's wrong i didn't see that before mm-hmm. then what comes with knowledge is definitions when i know something part of how i know i know it is i can define it mm-hmm. and so when we're talking about the knowledge of good and evil. We're talking about the ability to define what good and what evil are. Mm-hmm. And the trickiest part, which you're hitting on, is often we have a pure motivation, but then the methods we use to reach the end goal of righteousness or love or kindness yeah. is a different road and sometimes opposite road than the one that God asks us to take. Yeah. And part of my perspective in that is, um, it's like giving pop to a plant, <laughs> right? Pl- plants need water to live. We know that. We want them to flourish. But you know what? I think I like pop Mountain Dew so much more than mm-hmm. water. Wouldn't it be more loving to give this plant what I love? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't yeah. that just be a better I mean, for the plant? Not? I mean, why not? But you get the idea that oftentimes the things we have something um, that in the short term seems uh, like it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But in the long term, once the fruit has the uh, the results are in is clearly um, didn't accomplish the our intention or heart. And that's where faith comes in is just going, "Mm, you see this whole road, Lord, and um, you know what's at the end of it. And so my motive may be great, but that doesn't make my, my motives don't justify my actions. Mm-hmm. You know, having, doing the wrong thing for the right reasons is still the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And so that's the challenge is aligning both my heart with God's. And this is, this is the Deuteronomy 6, 5, the Jewish Shema. And this is also the greatest commandment, which Jesus adopts that. Yep, yep. Um, but he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, right motives, mm-hmm. right? All your mind, clear thinking, all your soul, your emotions and spiritual self that's apart from your body. And one quick thing on the soul, people can argue about like, well, do we have a solar? You can think about what you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? There is a, there is a, a part of you that is able mm-hmm. to perceive yourself as though it's not trapped in your brain or mm-hmm. in your body separate from mm-hmm. right so that's we're talking about soul and then um strength your body right yeah so all that to say that's that's um 
just a part of maturing, I think, just like little kids who try to be helpful, but then do something horribly wrong <laughs> when they're trying to be It's helpful. my life every day. I'm like, let me be helpful. I can do this. And then I like make things happen. I'm like, ooh, I stepped way out of my lane. I should not have been doing that. That was not the right thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's that that we see that in children evidently because we know more than they do about the end result of their actions. Yeah. And the relationship is the same between us and God. That we are. Well, and I think that even as this comes into play in relationship to other people as well, feeling the sense of responsibility. I mean, personally, this is a nice statement. I feel a sense of responsibility to be like, hey, this is what worked for me and getting healthy and connecting with the Lord and doing um, good things for his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I feel this like sense of responsibility to force people into Mm. a space that I think Mm. is best and worked best for me. Mm -hmm. But there's also a relinquishing of control that's like, mm-hmm. hey, this is what I did. And this is how I connect with the Lord. And these are the things that I find valuable. Mm-hmm. And I see in scripture as valuable, but not feeling like responsible to yeah. other people to making them yeah. see or do or behave the way that yeah. I think is right. And you're hitting on something so um, American in our relationship with Jesus. We don't understand as Americans, the difference between testimony and advice. Yeah. A testimony is this is what God has done in my life and this is how. Mm -hmm. Advice is, and so should you. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. That's good. But it's not. It's so damaging. And and because the relationship with the Lord is so personal, um, I think that for me, stepping back and taking taking, um, a huge step back to say, and like, what are you doing in your life? And Mm -hmm. and how are you seeing the Lord work? Mm -hmm. And I think truly what trust is for me in this space of seeking righteousness is knowing that I am responsible to the Lord and to connecting well with people, but it's not my responsibility to manifest change in people's lives. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And I just need to step back and just say like, I don't even know what's right for you. You know, I know what, I know what the scriptures say and I know what the Lord is doing in my life. Right. And you know where they need to end, but you don't necessarily know how they need to get there. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. And, um, I think that's another mistake I see folks make is just because they start to recognize, oh, you're actually so different from me. Um, Like my way is not going to work for you. They then give up both the end results and the process. Yeah. They go, oh, well, maybe, maybe, you know, where you need to land isn't even the same place. And it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe on micro levels, but macro (laughs) levels, like everyone in God's kingdom, everyone needs to end in righteousness. Everyone needs to end in meekness. Everyone needs to end in being able to mourn their losses. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to end in mercy. Everybody needs to end in purity of heart. You know what I mean? So um, I think that that's that's a a tricky thing. But it's also, I think, just a normal part of, there's not necessarily sin in that. It's just a part of discerning and maturing as you disciple other people, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's just like any relationship. um, We only know the way we've done it. Right. Totally. And so like, you know, that's just part of the process. If you start there and you start with, well, how did I do this? And let's try to see if that works for you. And then where it doesn't, you know, um, that's not inherently, I don't think wrong or sinful. It can become that, but right. that's a separate conversation. Right, so, right, right. <laughs> you know, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is blessed are those who when God's way of God, what God calls good isn't happening in the world. It's painful to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you mentioned blessed are the merciful. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about blessed are the merciful. Let me pull up my notes real quick. Um, so 
what you said here is that mercy and justice, too much mercy, and there are no boundaries. Yep. No one is ever wrong. Yep. Um, there's no guidance there. And then yep. justice is making the wrong right. And if there's only justice, then justice leads this overabundance of justice leads to this vengeance on vengeance on vengeance. Right. And so I just wanted you to share more or tell us tell us a little bit more about that idea. Yeah. So I think this is a tough idea because we love justice when someone mm-hmm. else is wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but when we're wrong, when we're the one that needs to be punished, when we um, look at the punishment and go, I don't know, I don't think I deserve I'm that. Stop talking to me. Stop talking to me right now. Okay. You know, that's when it. That's when we start to buck against it, and that's I think at the core of a lot of the racial tension in our society right now is mm-hmm. that uh, primarily um, white folks of colonial descent. And I mean, there's every person of, of light colored skin is is adopted into this um, just by association in so many ways, but even if they didn't immigrate till last year or something. But anyway, point being, folks of light colored skin, there is this conversation where um, particularly black Americans who have descended from slavery are saying like, hey, we are behind in genuine ways in life because of the impacts of this throughout generations. And we're asking something be done about that. And these things that habitually happen because of that change. And there's goodness in that, you know, there's a lot of goodness in that. But my point in bringing that up is not to camp on this analogy, but just to use it is that um, it is easy to want justice until we are the ones who are on the side of wrong. And then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, but do I really deserve that kind of punishment? Or, and justice is is like I, the example I gave is there's a nail in a piece of wood. When you pull the nail out, whatever hole is left is the wrong, mm-hmm. right? And justice is a perfectly filled hole. It's not extra. It's not less than. It mm-hmm. is flush. Yeah, wood is is perfect again. But as Christians, we just recognize that um, I don't know the perfect balance of mercy and justice and the perfect balance of mercy and justice is perfect because it creates human flourishing. Mm-hmm. And we see that in this, in scripture that the way God and balances mercy and justice is a way that allows the person he is holding accountable to flourish and, or the people he is holding accountable to flourish. And we see this even like in, in the life of Paul, right? Um, in the life of Paul, he persecutes the church mm-hmm. and people die for believing in Jesus at the hands of Paul. Yeah. When, when Jesus shows himself to Paul um, and Ananias brings up the sins he's committed against the church of Jesus, Jesus says, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Yeah. And God totally redeems. And Paul does. <laughs> he does. He suffers a lot. And Paul does. And God totally redeems Paul's life. Mm-hmm. And Paul is a force for the church that is to be reckoned with and that has yeah. echoed into human history. And yet that does not forego him of the suffering of the justice yeah. for his Because redemption, it doesn't mean like, oh, everything is great and golden. It just means that this wound that occurred, this mm-hmm. trauma, this issue, this problem is now being used to bring glory and honor to the kingdom. Mm-hmm to bring healing to places mm-hmm. that are broken. Mm-hmm. That's what redemption means. Mm-hmm. And so when we see redemption in our own lives, it doesn't mean that we are without suffering. Mm-hmm. It just means that God uses and works in 
that place of that place of brokenness. Right. So when Jesus is saying, "Blessed are the merciful," mm-hmm. we recognize vengeance belongs to the Lord. Do we we recognize it? Yeah, yeah. that's that's the goal. (laughs) That's the goal. (laughs) So that's what Jesus is saying here. Kingdom people, people who are blessed, favored by God, Mm -hmm. are the kind of person that show mercy in the temporary because God has shown mercy to them for their sins and who trust the completeness of justice to him. That doesn't mean we never punish wrong. That doesn't mean justice systems are unbiblical. Mm -hmm. God had justice systems in the Old Testament. But it does mean um, that uh, God favors mercy over judgment um, and that uh, he is the only one that knows that perfect balance. And so we hold even our judgments um, with a level of open-handedness Because like I said, I mean, like, think about yourself as a kid, your sibling does something to you, you don't want to hit them back just as hard as they hit you, you want to hit them harder. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Sorry, I was muted. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Right. You want to hit them harder. And so that's how we still behave just with bigger Mm -hmm. issues. Right. And that's what creates a cycle of vengeance is the power to judge is a power over someone. And when we abuse the power to judge, we abuse people. Yeah. And then that creates a cycle of vengeance. And that's part of our culture and country's history as well. Just that people who have had the power to pass laws and make judgments on them have abused that power, which has created a cycle of vengeance. And we're trying to get out of that cycle and by having conversation about it that's candid now in our country instead of um, through violence or through... Mm-hmm. Um, other things. And that's going to be a whole process. Again, you know, we, we're not going to camp there. And this is not a podcast mm-hmm. about that. But I just point that out to say it's incredibly, um, it's so a part of the human experience, it's inescapable, no matter what culture you're from, like my family is uh, predominantly Irish. And Irish uh, Protestants and Catholics have hated each other for many years, every culture has a version of uh, fighting against itself. Yeah, you know, so Anyway, Why that's most that is? Sin. Yeah. <laughs> I yep. think I think that uh there are a million sinful reasons we fight against each other. But at our worst, we um kind of try to set ourselves up to be our own gods, right? Which means there's an an other that is bad in order for us to feel good. And so we create another that's bad out of small things or out of big things. Uh, out of dumb things, out of not dumb things, whether it's the Japanese and the Koreans, Mm -hmm. whether it's um, native Australians versus the English colonialized Australians, whether it's the Irish Catholics versus the Irish Protestants, um, you know, whether it's the English wealthy versus the English poor, whether it's, you know, the South African. There's just always, there's always always a a conflict. Always. You know, this always this idea and these qualities are valuable for fighting against that right really right right that that mercy transformative right Mm -hmm. mercy is the way to to wholeness in that and that's what we see god do for us um and then you you mentioned something before we started about blessed are the peacemakers yes sir yeah the actuality of what true peacemakers are because Mm. this isn't putting your head in the sand this Mm. isn't pretending like everything is okay um so tell me more about <clears throat> peacemakers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the interesting things I see in this um, that I'm not going to claim is like 
the gospel truth. It's just a, a, a notice is it seems to me these all build on each other. Like in order. So mm. blessed are the poor in spirit, starting at this place of like, mm, I have nothing to offer God. And then the next thing is mourning your losses. That being a loss to mourn, realizing I'm not God and I'm not righteous and I have not done things right. Uh, and then blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Being this person who is able to reserve my strength and be gentle. Uh, and then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now being this gentle person who's able to mourn my losses, who then longs for the right thing. And then the next thing Jesus says is, and then be merciful. <laughs> so once there's this person who is able mm -hmm. to mourn their losses, who's able to be gentle and long for the right thing, but in that thirst for righteousness, showing mercy. Um, and then blessed are the pure in heart, which is about rightly ordered desires. And then we get to peace, um, which is about how to handle conflict. And it, again, it's just, it's not a fully formed thought, but it seems to me that these are interlocked in a way that build on each other and that they're not isolated from each other. Well, that makes sense. If this is a quality, you know, a list of ideas and concepts and qualities for a person yep. who's going to emulate Jesus or live mm -hmm. into the gospel, mm -hmm. it makes sense that they would add on top of each other. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen that or, or considered that, but I think that's a good observation. So blessed are the peacemakers then. So if you take into the rest of, into account the rest of these things, mm -hmm. what it can't mean is ignoring problems. Right. It can't mean that because if you're going to be someone who hunger and thirsts for righteousness, you can't do that and ignore unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. If it's going to be a person who engages with justice, because that's part of mercy. Mercy is not possible unless you're engaged in the justice. Mm -hmm. It's just an outcome of justice, right? It's not a, it's not a sideline of it. Right, right. So, um, Mourning and being right. spirit and you know, right. Right. So what it can't mean and what we see in the life of Jesus, if Jesus is this kingdom person, which I think is very evident, right. <laughs> um, uh, then what we see him do all the time, and Pete Scazzaro talks about this a lot in really beautiful ways, is um, he disrupts false peace to bring true peace. Mm -hmm. False peace is ignoring a conflict or an issue. True peace is resolving a conflict or an issue. It's not a peace that's built on... Um, ignoring reality. It's a piece that's built on changing reality yeah. um, and changing reality so that the wrong is made right and that there is true peace. Yeah. And um, one of the other things that I think is important about, so mercy is withholding a punishment that somebody justly deserves. Yeah. Grace is giving a gift somebody does not deserve. And so true peacemakers are true peacemakers because um, from their mercy flows grace. Mm. That's a really beautiful picture. Yeah. That the, and, and they're able to do that because they've recognized their poverty of spirit before God, have received mm -hmm. his mercy and his grace, and they live that out in the world. And we see that in Jesus. Jesus does not hesitate to call sin, sin. Jesus sits with sinners. He doesn't sin with sinners. Correct. <laughs> <Right>? Correct. <laughs> a good, it's a good clarification there. Um, mark. Yeah. But, but he, it starts up, I think, it, you know, the thing that is so neat about recognizing that is that recognizing our um, 
uh, lack in spirit, the Mm -hmm. poor in spirit causes us to start off our quality definition, Mm -hmm. humble, Yep. recognizing that we need Jesus. We Mm -hmm. need God Mm -hmm. more than anything else in the world. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And one of the things that I haven't talked about, like hardly at all in my sermon or in this is, is we're talking about focusing highly on the qualities, but not the rewards for the qualities, mm-hmm. not, not the results. And one of the things I love about Blessed Are the Peacemakers is that they will be called children of God. A child is your DNA in another person who's mm-hmm. on the earth. And so Jesus is saying, um, people who are peacemakers possess the DNA of God on the earth. Yeah. You know, that's like, that's an amazing thing. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much. Thanks for unpacking some of your thoughts, telling us more about what you found in the text and how you experienced the Lord in it. Yeah, you're very welcome. This is so deep. This is such a, it's one of the most written about passages in all of Christian history. And so, you know, like I said on uh, Sunday, I don't, certainly don't claim to uh, know the riches of it, but I mm-hmm. do feel like um, I see enough to obey. And, yeah, thank uh, you. Thank you for offering. Step. Yeah, thank you for offering us what you have experienced and um, providing. I, I felt like I was richly, richly blessed because thanks. of what you shared through the scripture. And thanks everybody for tuning in today, for joining us on Tell Us More. I changed the name. (laughs) Tell me more, really. (laughs) And we hope that we get to see you, whether it's virtually or in person on Sunday at 10 a.m. We can't wait to hang out again. Booyah. See you then, folks.